God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty and high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Lord he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast led the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hand. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstools. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reign of his precious word to our hearts. Let's just unite again the word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we thank thee for being able to draw into the presence of our God we thank Thee for the Son, who is the revelation of divinity. We thank Thee for His incarnation. We bless that He came to Bethlehem, and we thank that He lived and died in our room and in our stead. And, O oh God, we thank Thee for the One who reveals God to us. We thank Thee for His death on the cross. And we bless Thee for all that He has accomplished for our redemption. And, O oh God, we pray that there may be those that will close in with God's great offer of mercy tonight. We're glad that whosoever will may come. We're glad that those that are uh, wrought upon by the Spirit of God uh, and are willing to uh, turn from their sins, we thank Thee that God brings them in. So, our God, bless us tonight as we gather at Thy feet. Draw near to our hearts, we pray, for it's in Jesus' precious name. Now we'd ask these things. Amen. I want to look at um, verses 1 to 3 of the portion of Scripture that we read. God, 
who at sundry times and in diverse manners uh, speak in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We rejoice as we come to worship our God, and we come to a God who makes himself known. And he makes himself known because he's a personal God. He's not a God afar off. He's not a God who sits up in the heavens, never bothers about us, and never chooses to speak to us. But thank God that he comes down and he speaks to his creation and he speaks to men and women. What an awesome thing that we can hear and we can perceive the very words of God as he has recorded them in his word and as they are here in the scriptures. And we thank God for the fact that we have a God of Trinity. The God of the Bible is a personal being in contrast to the gods of other religions and philosophies, a God who is not only personal, but who is a God of love and mercy. And we thank God for that. He's a God of justice. He's a God of holiness. And we saw that this morning. But he is a God who is a God of love, who comes down to deal with his people. And in the opening verses of the book of Hebrews here, we have something about uh, how God reveals himself. And we have two ways that God reveals himself here. It says that God, uh, in the Old Testament, revealed himself to the fathers by the prophets. And so there were those prophets who heard the word of God and received the revelation and were able to pass on the word of God. Of course, he's referring to the true prophets. There were those that were false prophets who came and professed to have the word of God, but were teaching lies. But those who are in the scriptures, those prophets whose words we have in the canon of holy scriptures, those are men who spoke by the power of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And we thank God for the word of God that came through these men, revealing the ways of God, revealing even through the ceremonies of the Old Testament, how God was to be worshipped. But then it says there's another revelation here. It says that uh, the God who speak by the fathers, uh, by, by the prophets to the fathers, in verse 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Now in the book of Revelation, or in the book of Hebrews rather, we have how the Lord is Better than all of the Old Testament. These are Hebrews to whom the author is writing here. And these were people who were under pressure to go back into their old religion. And so, as he writes here, he's showing these people how that the Christian religion and the Lord Jesus Christ is better than Moses and better than Abram and better than the Old Testament prophets and that here he says that the revelation of the New Testament is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank God for our Savior who has come. And he's come to be our Redeemer. He's come to fulfill all the Old Testament prophecies. 
and the Old Testament types and the Old Testament pictures. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the fulfillment of it all. And we have an unfolding of all that was meant in the Old Testament scriptures as to the way of salvation. And of course, the Lord Jesus went to the cross of Calvary and shed his blood that we might be saved. He took our sins and our sorrows and he made them his very own and he bore the burden of Calvary and he suffered and died alone. And thank God for that substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. And what a revelation that is. He's the fulfillment of the revelation. But it's not only what he has done and we we know uh, the revelation of what Christ did, but Christ himself is the revelation. He came And we see God in him. We see in him all that we follow, all that we worship. We think of John the Baptist who said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And God has spoken. He's spoken through his prophets. He's spoken in the epistles. And he speaks ultimately through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the message is for you. The message is for me. Oh, that the God of heaven, the God who has created all things, would speak. It says in these words that God hath spoken. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us. By his Son, all that you might hear the voice tonight. All that you might hear the speaking of God. That God in his mercy might come and deal with your heart. And I want you to think about God speaking as we look at these uh, scriptures for a few moments tonight. And first of all, I want you to think about the motivation of the message. Why is God speaking to us? What is it that God is speaking to us about? Well, you'll find here that God is speaking to us and and he's indicating, of course, first of all, that he exists and about who he is. We read something about who God is. We'll never fully understand or comprehend God because we're poor, vile creatures. Uh, His thoughts are far above our thoughts and his ways are far above our ways. But nevertheless, God makes himself known in the scriptures so that we might have enough to know that this is a God who is a God of love, a God who is to be worshipped, a God to whom we must go. And he wants us to draw near to his person. And we think about the Old Testament scriptures. We think about Moses. And you remember how God appeared to Moses and he cried and he told him his name as it were, I am That I am, the self-existent God, the God of covenant mercy, the God who has done wonderful things, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the God, God that does not change, a God that is always the same, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, perfectly just, and perfectly loving. And he makes himself known, Because he wants you and me to know him. Oh, the apostle Paul cried with all his heart that I might know him. And 
He wanted to know God. And God wants you to know him. He wants you to know him as your Savior. He wants you to know him in the fullness of the way that you can, as full and as deep a way that you can. Oh, that we may progress in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But dear friend, if you don't know him, God wants you to know him. He wants you to know that he exists. He wants you to know who he is. He wants you to know that he is a God of love who will draw you unto himself and that you might have communion with him and fellowship with him. God uh, made man and placed him in the garden and had fellowship with him and communion with him away back in the beginning and sin came in and marred the fellowship. But God wants to have fellowship with you. Oh, you might not think yourself to be much. And you might just uh, think yourself to be nothing in this world. And as far as the world is concerned, nobody might be concerned about you. But God, the God of heaven, wants you to know him. And he wants to know you, as it were. He knows you because he knows all about everything. But he wants to know you as his child. And he wants you to know him as your father. Oh, that you might know him tonight. But not only does God want us to know that he exists, and he wants us to know and understand something about him. But he wants us to understand his will. You see, if God exists, then we need to know what pleases him. We need to know what it is that he wants us to do or what he wants us not to do. If there is a God in heaven, and there is, then God has standards and God has given us his law. And where is he given us his law? Well, it's summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments. We think of these commandments and there you have the basic setting out of the rules and then God unfolded it and God added uh, to it in, in a way that it had unfolded for us. But here is the law of God and it gives us those things that God wants us to do and those things that we are to avoid. It says that we are not to steal. You know, maybe in the past there are things that you've stolen. Maybe even in your childhood, you took things from your mother or your father, and you never asked that they made, you may take them, and you just went off with them. Maybe you took money. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it may have been something small. And you say, but it, it was only small. It may have been the only thing you've ever stolen in your life. The Bible says that if we commit one sin, we're guilty of all. The Bible says that we're not to commit adultery. And the Lord Jesus outlined that and he said that if we lust after someone in our heart, then we've committed adultery. I wonder if you've ever done that. I think maybe we all have done that in different ways. And we're adulterers in the eyes of God. You think about murder and the Lord Jesus said that if we hate our brother without a cause, we are a murderer. And maybe tonight you're uh, considering the fact that you've committed murder. But it's not just those things. You see, those are negative things and things that we're not to do. But you think of the first table of the Ten Commandments. And the first table of the Ten Commandments tells us that we are to worship God. That God is a God to be worshipped. And that he alone is to be worshipped. And we're not to give ourselves to idolatry or let anything else come in between us and God. Do not let anything else uh, divert us from God or keep us from God. And dear friend, if you're not saved tonight, whatever it is, 
that is keeping you from God, whatever it is that is drawing you away from the Savior and enabling you to turn your back upon God, is that idol. You're an idolater tonight. You're an idolater. You're guilty of idolatry. God is a God to be worshipped. And if you're not worshipping him in spirit and in truth, you have broken the commandments. And as we say, if you've broken one part of the commandment, you're guilty of all. We're told in Romans chapter 3 and verses 19 and 20. Now we know that what things, though ever the law saith, it saith to them that were under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so, by the law, by what God has revealed to us, this revelation that we're talking about here tonight, these things that God has revealed, what do they show us? That we're sinners. That we have broken the law. That the law has been broken. As it says that we have come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. And dear friend, you might think to yourself, well, I haven't done too badly. And yet that's the way that we try to make excuse. And we try to cover over our sins. And if it wasn't for the law of God, that's what we do. We just cover it over. We would just make excuse for ourselves. And yet God in his word has set down his law plain and clear. And we have it here in the Bible. And here it is that we can see it for ourselves. And dear friend, if you have come short of that, you're a sinner. And God reveals to us what we are in his sight. He reveals Christ to us. He reveals the scriptures to us. He reveals what we are and who we are. But we need to hear God tonight. Without his voice, we're lost. We might be, you might be wondering about life and where you're going and what you are. But God is not silent if you'll hear his voice. God has not shut his mouth today, thank God. You can hear the voice of God speaking in the midst. We see the motivation of the message. But then I want you to think about the manner of the message. It says here that God who had sundry times and in diverse manners. So there is a diverse manner about this. There are many ways that God speaks. It says God who had sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. And I want you to see then that the manner of God's message here is manifold. He says that he spake in diverse manners and at sundry times. So there's a diversity about the way that God speaks and there's a diversity about the times that God speaks. It says in Psalm 19 verses 1 and 2 how that God speaks even through the very creation itself. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. And when we look at the intricacies of creation, we see the hand of an almighty God. You know, in times gone by, 
Uh, people would believe in evolution. Well, people do still believe in evolution. It's the current thought. But as people have begun to look at how things are, for example, I'm, I'm thinking about DNA. And they discovered DNA. And at first, when they discovered the uh, DNA chain, they thought that they could explain that just in terms of evolution. That uh, there were many parts of the DNA that seemed to be useless, as they used to talk about the vestigial organs of the body, that we had uh, useless organs, until they discovered what those organs were for. And then they were saying, oh, we don't know what these uh, parts of the DNA do, so they must be useless, because we don't know they must be useless. But as time has gone on, they have discovered what those useless parts of the DNA do. And as uh, scientists have looked at the uh, science of genetics, they have begun to discover how intricate this is. This is, if it was a computer code, it couldn't be more intricate. And what does that indicate? That there's an author. If you looked at a computer code, if you looked at a computer program, even the most simple computer program, you'd know that there is somebody behind that, that there is an author of that. And yet men look at the genetic code, and they look at you and me, and they look at the creation around us, and they look at the animals, and how that all creation fits together, and they say, it all happened by chance. Not a bit of it, dear friend. It, 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 it's, it's not anything like that. But my, what God has done, and God has taken diverse people. You think of men like Daniel, who are among the elite of society, or you think about Amos, who was a, a poor gatherer of sycamore fruit, and God has brought all these together, and he has made a, a, a Bible that has been uh, forged together over uh, hundreds of years, different people, different circumstances, written by Moses, who was coming out of bondage, or Isaiah, who is going into bondage, those that were under the cause, and those who were in days of prosperity, in different times, different regions, and it all comes together. This is the revelation of God. God has spoken by different men, different times, different abilities, but they all have the inspiration of Almighty God upon them. And all of this comes together to bring one universal message about the glory of God, about his kingdom, about how he has come to save. My, what a marvel we have as we look at the revelation of God. And he speaks about the, um, to those who are in a day of blessing, and he speaks to those who are in a day of trial. And the message is a universal message. You know, if God had just spoken to one person and used one person in one era of time perhaps it well God can do anything I suppose but it wouldn't have been the same God has brought all these things together and the Bible says despise not prophesying or preaching and dear friend tonight you're not to despise the preaching of God's word as we come to proclaim the word of God. As we come to bring what God has said in his word. Dear friend, you need to listen to what that word says. You need to hear what God is saying in his precious word tonight. But thank God for the 
revelation that God has given. And it is manifold, not only in the way that he gives it, but in the times that he has given it. But then I want you to see, not only is the message manifold, but it is magnificent. You see, we're told that the ultimate revelation of God is found in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God sent his Son into the world that we might live through him. My, what a wonderful thing it is that we have had our Savior in this world. My, we think of all that he taught, and my, we think about his compassion. We think about his love demonstrated as he went about. The Bible says here that he is the express image of God's person. Look at verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. My, there you have a revelation of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you think about the Jehovah Witnesses who would say that the Lord Jesus Christ was a created archangel. Or you think about the Mormons, the Latter-day Saints, who say that he was a created man who was elevated to Godhead. But my, he says that he's the express image of his person. He's exactly like God. And you can't be exactly like God without being God. If you have somebody that's exactly like God with all his powers and with all that he is, he's God. He sustains, it says, he sustains the universe, upholding all things, he says, by the word of his power. And here we have the Lord Jesus Christ at the very center of all things. He upholds you. He holds you in his hand. Every breath that you take is the gift of God tonight. Every uh, uh, second that your heart beats, it's the gift of God. And yet you despise him. Yet you turn your back upon him. Yet you'll have nothing to do with him. Oh, here is the, ex- here's the brightness of the Father's glory, the express image of his person. And Paul said, we preach Christ and him crucified. And that's the very center of the gospel. That's what we've come to do. And we come to proclaim one who offers forgiveness, rest for the weary. He brings help for those that are disconsolate. He lifts up the fallen. He brings help to those that are in trouble. And dear friend, he's a one who will help you. And dear, if you want the meaning of life, it's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want an answer to your need, it's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want uh, to be uh, delivered from all of the pains of this life, and I don't mean now Christians will suffer trials and tribulations in this world. The Bible tells us that. I'm not saying you'll be delivered, uh, uh, delivered from all the trials and tribulations. But ultimately... God will bring you into that place of rest and into that place of blessing. Oh, to the rich, to the proud, to those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, here is the message. The center of the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's him that we have left. It's him that we point you to. Will you not trust him tonight? Will you not call upon him for salvation? 
But one more thing I want you to see, and that's the matter of the message. Because it says of this one, who is the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholds all things by the word of his power, that when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And I want you to see the process here. I want you to notice what the Lord Jesus did. It says he purged our sins. That word purge there speaks of purification. It speaks of the classic Greek word that is used there is a word that speaks of the process of purification or a sacrifice of purification. And the import of the words that are used here is it wouldn't be lost on the first century Jewish uh, readers of this epistle because they would have been familiar with the Day of Atonement. And in Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 30 it says, For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. So there was this purification process that took place where the sins of the people were placed upon the head of the goat and the goat was laid out into the wilderness and the goat was uh, there um, forgotten as it were. It was never to be seen anymore as it were. Uh, or representing that. And he purges our sins. He purged them with his own precious blood on the cross. Didn't just cleanse them, but took them away. Purging speaks of not only being clean, but that the whole thing is swept away. It says in Hebrews 9 and 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience? from dead works to serve the living God. And Sage Spurgeon said about that, the sweepers of the street, the scullions of the kitchen, the cleansers of the sewer, have more honorable work compared with this purging of sin. Yet the Holy Christ, incapable of sin, stooped to purge our sins. My what filth he dealt with as he purged our sins. What awful things he dealt with as he purged our sins. But thank God the sins of God's people are purged. And we see the process here. But look at the person. It says by the apostle here that by himself. Now you notice the emphasis. It isn't just that the Lord Jesus Christ purged our sins. But when he had by himself. There's an emphasis there. There was no other could bear these sins. There's no other that could do this. My, there was no other that could help him. There is one God and one meteor between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. He's the only one that could do this. So he had to do it by himself. My, what a wonderful thing that he did. That he went to the cross for us. And how... Did he do it by his preaching, by his doctrine? Did he do it by his spirit? No, it says by his cross, by his cross, by himself, on the cross, alone on the cross, there on the cross, my Savior died. Therefore, wherefore cleansing, for sin I cried. Dear friend, is at the cross. And I, I, I'm glad tonight 
that there was one. You know, he had to do it by himself. But what a blessing that by himself he could do it. That he had the power of Almighty God to take our sins upon him. We see the process in the person. But think about the perfection. It says that he purged our sins. He did it. He did it. Didn't have to do it. He did it. He took those sins away. He's cried on the cross. It is finished. The work is done. It's finished. Now we have the picture of the Lord Jesus as our great high priest. It says that he sat down on the right hand of the majesty and high. And that's an indication of the fact that the work was done. The high priest in the Old Testament never sat down. He never sat down for his work was never complete. But this high priest, our great high priest, sat down at the right hand of God. Why? Because the work of redemption and salvation was finished. And I'm glad tonight that as many as receive him, to them give you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. This is God's wondrous salvation tonight. And those that will close in with his offer of mercy can be saved. And I urge you tonight to cast your sins upon him. Come to the one who removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. Oh, what he did on the cross was effectual, final, complete, never to be repeated. We think of the perfection of what he did. Then look at the product of what he did. It says that he sat down on the right hand of the majesty and high. And that not only indicated that his work was done, but the right hand, of course, is the place of power. And here was the honor that was given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're speaking figuratively now, but we uh, think about how he sits on the right hand of God. The hymn writer said the highest place that heaven affords is his uh, and his by right, the King of kings and Lord of lords and heaven's eternal light. Not only does Jesus sit in the place of honor, but he's sitting in the place of safety because there it is that uh, he fulfills his will, sits at the right hand of God. And no matter who comes to accuse, what though the accuser roar of things that I have done, I know them all and thousands more, Jehovah findeth none. But the old devil is the accuser of the brethren. The Lord Jesus sits at God's right hand as our intercessor, as our advocate, as our great high priest. And nothing that is said against us is going to hold any water. Because we have an advocate in heaven. If you're saved, you do. If you're washed in the precious blood, you do. We have a mighty God. We have a mighty Savior. We have a wonderful revelation. A revelation of God's dear Son. And a revelation of what he did on the cross. That we might be saved. But dear friend, you've got to do something with the revelation. The revelation is not just there to tickle your ears or for something for you to hear and go home. You've got to do something about God's revelation. God's revelation comes as a challenge. What will you do with the Lord Jesus Christ? What will you do with what God has revealed to you in the Scriptures? God is gracious. God has 
in his mercy, giving you the opportunity of hearing the way of salvation, hearing about the one who is able to save to the uttermost. Now, what are you going to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you call upon him? Will you seek him? Will you draw near for his mercy and his grace tonight? Will you come? I urge you with all of my heart that you might heed what God has said in his word and be saved for all eternity. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. And if God has spoken to you, we urge you to come. Whether you're at home or whether you're here tonight, we urge you to come and call upon the Lord and seek for God's mercy and grace. Will you be saved? Will you draw, draw near to God? Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank thee for thy precious word afresh tonight. No God, we thank thee for the revelation of God. We thank thee that God spoke through his prophets. But we do thank thee that he has spoken through his Son. We thank thee for the fulfillment and the finality of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And our Father, we pray that men and women might turn to thee and find thee whom to know is life eternal. Part us in thy fear and with thy blessing now. Take us to homes and safety. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with thy people both now and in the incoming days. For Jesus' sake, amen.